This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas, not with our usual correspondent, Willem van Denderen, who is sunning himself in Noosa, but with me shortly. And of course, our former ITN journal turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Then first up, we'll talk to Sydney FC's Joe Lolly off the back of a match, which might not be remembered as a thriller minute goal fest, but will go down as a derby for the ages against their bitter crosstown rival, Western Sydney. The three points firmly ensconces the Sky Blues into the top six, a point behind the Wanderers, but more Importantly, the A-League men's competition showcase just what the domestic game is capable of delivering in so far as passion on and off the field to turn the competition into one that can genuinely sit alongside the leading sporting competitions of this country. It'll be fascinating to hear what Joe has to say as one of the key players in Nottingham Forest's return, Nottingham Forest's return to the Premier League only one season ago. Then, as is often the case with football podcasts, no sooner had last week's show dropped than one of the biggest stories of recent years blew up. I speak, of course, of the 100-plus charges the Premier League has laid at Manchester City, dating back over the past decade. Is this finally the line in the sand we've been waiting for? Will City, if proven guilty, suffer the fate of the likes of Juventus and Rangers with massive points deductions, relegation, and potentially titles withdrawn? Well, the go-to man for all the major broadcasters and publishers in the UK will join us to break it down. His name is Kieran Maguire, an academic from the University of Liverpool and host of his own iconic podcast, The Price of Football, Kieran Maguire. And once we get through all that, we'll wrap it up with World Cup Corner. Edge, it's going to be a bumper, uh, but we'll get through it all. Certainly will. It's going to be a fantastic show. Looking forward to that uh, discussion <clears throat> with Joe Lolly uh, off the back of what was been a massive Sydney derby. I just wanted to open with that, Rob. I thought mm-hmm. the A-League made a critical step in its uh, mm-hmm. redemption, in its rebuild from mm-hmm. all of the trouble that uh, the competition has been facing, which we've covered so well here on Box to Box. But I just thought it was fantastic. Western Sydney Wanderers really having a good season. Sydney FC behind the eight ball. It was set up to be a tense game and it delivered, didn't it? It was a good mm-hmm. crowd. Yeah, it yeah. was a wonderful world-class goal that uh, decided the match. We had tension. Uh, mm-hmm. We had atmosphere. We had a bit of spite. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a send-off. We had controversy with uh, mm-hmm. potential VAR. And it all ended with the two coaches flagging each other in the press <laughs> conference. What yeah. more could we want at the A-League? It's taken a step in the right direction, surely, Rob. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm interested in Derek because, uh, you know, you you were, uh, I know you're going to comment on it in a, a little more detail in stoppage time later in the week, Derek, but uh, from your observations as as a man who wants to see football succeed in this country, so passionate about it, are uh, you from, uh, you know, your your upbringing and your love of, uh, of the Gunners and all, uh, that must have been, you know, a pleasant surprise to see actually people in the stadium. Yeah, the atmosphere looked really good. Sydney had the smarts to uh, to get the job done. I think Mark Rudin's boys will probably feel slightly hard done by. They probably should have got a point or something out of that game. And Derek, every good rivalry needs a narrative. And obviously with Western Sydney Wanderers coming into the competition after Sydney, you had that sort of five years to establish a fan base. You've always felt that Sydney have had sort of the upper over Western Sydney Wanderers just because they've been around longer but the narrative continues to evolve and every narrative and every sporting rivalry needs a villain we've got one he dresses in black in every game and he's marked nice Mark Rudan he's definitely the villain isn't he? or Marco I think he's become Marco now I've noticed in the last week yes yeah yeah I just I just noticed in the past week they're they're referring to him with uh, with the O at the end so you know look I'm jumped in there Derek you you answer Edge's question mate no, I noticed that it, pantomime, he would be a, he would be a wonderful. He plays the villain beautifully, doesn't he? I noticed all that it was the black shirt versus the white shirt as well. So it was like the ultimate uh, the the ultimate game of chess. And yeah, there was pl- plenty going on between uh, Corica and Rudan as, as as the game went on. I, I I nearly fell over when I heard the name of Morgan Schneiderlin as well. I did not realise he was playing. In the uh, in the A League and and still at a relatively decent age at thirty three, where you know he's got some years left of his football and and I don't know how he's going for Western Sydney Wanderers, but you know that seems pretty 
astute if they've managed to get him involved. It's plenty of time to ask you more questions. I know you're very eager to get into it, but we do have to. Willem said at me a very important agenda. Don't interrupt. I know you want to interrupt. You can interrupt a little bit later on. I need to justify, uh, you know, the fact that I'm I'm stepping into his rather big boots and deliver a reasonable uh, news uh, report here during the course well, of the show. I was just going to pile on the pressure, oh, Rob. Yeah. Say, it's time for the news. It's time for the news, Rob. Come uh, on. You've been working on the news all week. I want to know. Well, I want to know what the news is, Rob. All right. All well, off we go, Edge. Well, with the World Cup just over five months away, what will be one of the final opportunities for Tony Gustafsson to fine-tune the Matildas kicks off on Thursday night in Gosford when the national side opens the Cup of Nations against the 28th-ranked Czechia, or Czech Republic as they're more commonly known, in the four-team tournament, which Gustafsson has likened to a simulated group stage in terms of the calibre of opponent and short turnaround. Australia will play world number seven Spain three days later in Parramatta, then the 44th-ranked Jamaica a week after that in Newcastle. Head coach said that the Cup of Nations is about a rehearsal for the World Cup in every aspect, what we do on the field and in the stands. Now, Edge, uh, you've seen more World Cups than most people have had hot dinners. Um, do you like this approach? I know we've discussed it so far. Uh, you can't mimic the, the nature and style of every country that you're going to play, but uh, this seems to be as, as good a, an approach as could be constructed. Well, yeah, you just cannot, uh, under any circumstances, replicate the drama, tension, atmosphere, pace, jeopardy of a World Cup fixture. So good luck if uh, they try to. We will all be watching very closely the story of Manchester City as it plays out there. But already been sentenced over alleged financial rule breaches, says Pep Guardiola, the Premier League club charged with more than 100 breaches of its financial rules on Monday, which we're going to discuss in great detail with Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football podcast later on in the show. A-League ladder leader Melbourne City's also embroiled in the affair via its parent club. The news didn't stop City beating Villa at home to set up a blockbuster on Thursday morning against a certain ladder-leading Gunners who slipped up for the second week in a row at home to Brentford, uh, Derek. So uh, I know I've uh, sort of uh, framed this question with a little Arsenal uh, sting in the tail, but more to the point, and we'll talk about Arsenal later on, Manchester City, uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with Kieran and, and, and sort of dissecting this but uh, what what are your for, for, is there a lot of smoke is there fire i think we all had a pretty good idea but i think we all wondered whether the premier league would actually have the bottle to do something about it because you know city are a very important club uh in the premier league and uh we've already just had the european super league in the last year and even this week there's been the whiff of that coming back again and the premier league doesn't need to put its biggest sides off uh, from playing in that tournament. That being said, we'll pose this to Kieran Maguire. There is a sense of City being in the nouveau rich. You know, they've, you know, a lot of uh, jealousy around clubs, whether it be Arsenal or Man United or even Liverpool, Chelsea, at the kind of resourcing uh, that they have. And that if we're going to do a beat up on one of our own, let's do it on City and not one of the other guys who deserve to already be at the table. So, yeah, it will be a Fascinating discussion with Kieran, no doubt. In more sombre news, though, Turkish goalkeeper Ahmet Eyüp Turkoslan has died following last week's devastating earthquake in his home country. His club, Yeni Malatyaspor, has confirmed over 33,000 people have lost their lives in Turkey and Syria following the earthquake and a death toll that continues to rise. Our goalkeeper lost his life after being under the collapse of the earthquake. Rest in peace, said the club on Twitter. We will not forget you, you beautiful person. It added former Newcastle goalkeeper Garnet and Christian Atsu is still missing despite early reports. He'd been pulled from the rubble edge. Um, yeah, perspective for writ large uh, across this story, 33,000 people, lives devastated. And, uh, of course, uh, football doesn't escape its bitter touch. Listeners of this show will probably be aware that I was in Istanbul recently and um, <clears throat> had an opportunity to take in some Turkish culture and... I think the perspective that we're, you know, in, in news cycles around the world, obviously, you know, the Western media dominates um, the landscape in Australia, but uh, this is a, like a, like this earthquake is like a once in a hundred years type thing. And it's a 7.8 on the Richter scale. It, uh, it, it is uh, devastation beyond anybody's comprehension. And, you know, there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be cities that will never be rebuilt um, out of this event, and it's just absolute tragedy. And um, I just hope the the world, uh, in particular the wealthy nations around the world, are understanding what uh, that part of the world is going through, southern Turkey and and northwest Syria, which is gee, 
they've got so many problems. They don't know this, Rob. It's just it's just heartbreaking. It really is uh, beyond um, football in moments like this. And and for for football people like us who are football people who, you know, uh, we live around the clock around our football, don't we? So it it, it sort of reaches home that someone in the prime of their life, a professional footballer, goalkeeper has lost his life along with probably his friends and family. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just <clears throat> my heart goes out to Turkey. Um, they've got a very important strategic um, place in uh, that part of the world and uh, they're doing it tough at the moment. They're having problems responding to this just mm-hmm. because of the scope of it and uh, and all power to them. And let's hope that uh, people can start to rebuild their lives. I've noticed football stadiums being used as, um, as, as, as sort of um, uh, emergency uh, evacuation centres and so forth. So, yeah, look, uh, I just, uh, my heart goes out to everybody who's got relatives in Turkey at the moment, especially in the southern part of uh, that, that part of the world. Yeah, well said, Edge. Uh, back to the football on the field. The Champions League resumes with the round of 16 over the next fortnight in the coming week. PSG hosts Bayern without Kylian Mbappe. Spurs travel to the San Siro against AC Milan. Benfica to Club Bruges and Dortmund face Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the following week. Despite their troubles, Manchester City are still the bookmaker's favourite and meet RB Leipzig away in the first league. Inter Milan play Porto. The reigning UEFA Cup holders Eintracht Frankfurt play Serie A leader Napoli and Liverpool are at home to Real Madrid. So, look, we just love the Champions League when it gets to its pointy end, Derek. Um, uh, the distractions didn't seem to affect City over the weekend. Um, do you, let's just say, they were able to continue to perform at their, at their best level. Uh, uh, I see Erling Haaland uh, might be uh, missing for a few weeks with an injury. Um, your thoughts on who you think might um, rise above the pack and, uh, and take the title this season? The winner of the Liverpool Real Madrid round would would definitely think that they're in good shape. Now, before we move on to soccerism, Matilda Central Real has won the Club World Cup for a record extending fifth time, beating Saudi Arabia's Al Hilal 5 3 in the final in Rabat, Morocco. Vinicius Jr. scored twice and helped Karim Benzema with the third ball. Federico Valverde added two more for the European champions in Saturday's final. Now, Edge, what's the latest in Green and Gold Army action? I mean, it's a couple of years away before the, uh, the, the next Men's World Cup in the USA, Canada, and Mexico. Can't be too early to get your name on the list. Oh, it's not too early. It's only around the corner, really, when you think about it. Um, but no, no, the next big activity for the Green and Gold Army is we're going back to Qatar because we liked it so much because mm-hmm. the AFC Asian Cup is in Qatar in January and uh, the Socceroos, uh, between you, me and everyone who's listening, will be one of the favourites, Rob. Mm-hmm. So uh, g- get onto the Greening Island website, register your interest. Um, we've got a video coming out pretty soon, which uh, is a highlight package of everything that we did in Qatar. So you can mm-hmm. watch that. Your lips will start to salivate and uh, we'll go back there and we'll have, um, no doubt, uh, during the AFC Asian Cup, we'll have some showdowns with some of our traditional rivals, including uh, Japan, Saudi Arabia, uh, the Emirates, you name it. Uh, who knows who we will play? Motive and play China. Mm-hmm. But uh, can't wait to go back there. And then obviously off the back of that, um, it's only then you know, less than two years to the uh, World Cup in uh, uh, in America. And before that, we've got the Olympic Games in Paris. Mm-hmm. So the Matildas and the Oli Roos, they'll enter their qualification campaign soon and uh, we'll get to support either one of them or both of them at the Olympic Games in Paris in 2024. So plenty on the agenda for those people who want to have a holiday and support the uh, Australian national teams in competitions far and wide. You shouldn't ask me to talk about the Granite Gold, no. Rob, and expected me to, to do it concisely, should you? No, I shouldn't have. I should have known what I was walking into. So and now I have uh, far less time to talk about the Socceroos and Matildas actually on the park, but uh, they are brought to you by the Green and Gold Army. Well done, Edge. Now, for the Socceroos, Harry Sutar continued his excellent start to life in the English Premier League, helping Leicester City to a 4-1 win over Tottenham with a strong defensive splay and an assist. Sutar put in a full shift and delivered a long ball to Kalechi in Archio on halftime for the Foxes' third goal. Leicestershire Live rated Sutar 7 out of 10, writing he did the basics very well and was one of the few players who did not get drawn into making silly mistakes. He won headers, kept tight to his opposite numbers, and while there were a few aimless long balls, he lofted a nice pass forward to get himself an assist for Ian Archio. That is good news for Harry. Riley McGree scored again as Middlesbrough continued to push for promotion with a 3-1 win at Cardiff City in the Championship. Matt Ryan kept a clean sheet at AZ Alkmaar. Mm-hmm. 
who won 5-0 over Excelsior to move into top spot in the Eredivisie. Christian Volpato, unused sub for AS Roma as they beat or Drew with Lecce, won all in the City R. Jason Davidson, again a full game for KS Yulpen. They beat Melken in 2-1 in the Belgian First Division. Cameron Devlin came off the bench to score in Hearts. 2-0 Scottish Cup win at Hamilton Academical on Friday. Nathan Atkinson was a 73-minute substitute while Garen Cole and Kai Rolls didn't get out of the dugout and Aaron Moy got an assist as Celtic East past St Mirren 5-1. And for the Matildas, Sam Kerr netted four goals on Thursday at Chelsea as Chelsea crushed West Ham. 7-0 in the Women's League Cup semi-finals, but the Matildas captain was a shocker mission for the final three nominees for the FIFA Best Women's Player 2022 award after last month being named in the 14 strong shortlist. The list has now been reduced to three players and Kerr isn't one of them. Instead, Spain's Alexia Pateas from Barcelona, England's Beth Mead Arsenal and American Alex Morgan from Orlando Pride and San Diego Wave will battle it out for the award. In other games, Caitlin Ford and Steph Catley's Arsenal suffered a major setback to their English Women's Super League title hopes with a 2-1 loss to Manchester City on Saturday. Hayley Russo was a 91st-minute substitution for City as they wound down the clock before clinching the points, which lifts them above the Gunners into third. Arsenal drops down to fourth, having endured a lean run of form since injuries to Beth Mead and Vivian Miedema. Caitlin Ford started but was sacrificed at halftime with Arsenal down 2-0 while Steph Catley played the full 90. Mary Fowler was an unused sub for City while Alana Kennedy was absent after she played in City's midweek League Cup 1-0 loss to Arsenal but hobbled off late with injury. And finally, Emily Gilnick was a 72nd-minute substitute as Aston Villa won 6-2 at Brighton and Hove Albion. All right, boys, well done. Uh, nice start. Okay, uh, Derek, you uh, you take a, a break, have a cup of coffee while Edge and I have a yarn to Joe Lolly. It was a cracking derby against Western Sydney on uh, Saturday night. Joe did get uh, an injury, but he did put in a good shift before then. Looking forward to chatting him with him after the break on Box to Box. Edge, give me a woo-woo. Come on, I haven't heard one from Bank. That's it. Right now, Chemist Warehouse, get a massive half price off the entire Swiss Vitamins range. There's Swiss Ultivitamins or Women's Multivitamin 120 tablets for just $29.99. Derek, that is a deal. I'm about halfway through my current uh, uh, tub of uh, Swiss Men's Ultivite. You need the vitamin B and all the good vitamins in there for, for good health and keeping on top of your form. Yeah, if you've got a busy lifestyle and you need to, uh, you know, keep yourself on top of your game, as you said, a, a multivitamin is definitely the way to go. And multivitamin is important too, Rob, because I found out the other day that just taking a single vitamin in isolation doesn't always do the job. They need to be in combination to work properly. So that's why that one works. And see, and that is what you get from uh, the uh, the box to box team. You get knowledge you get accuracy you get insights not only into football but into vitamins as well swiss ulti boost magnesium for a good night's rest 120 tablets 1724 swiss ulti boost glucosamine sulfate 180 tablets for just 26.99 edge you'll need those after your tumble in the the local bangkok backstreet football match your joints <laughs> i definitely do rob Yes, absolutely you will. And I'll need the Swiss Ulti Boost High Strength Deep Sea Krill Oil. You need the fish oil, 60 capsules for just $29.99. Well, that's just good for everything. Good for heart health, good for blood pressure, good for joints, you name it. I love it. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings they are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, for long-suffering football fans who've seen the trials and tribulations of football over the generations, we saw uh, the highest of highs at the the World Cup uh, in Qatar and then the lowest of lows down at Amy Park. But what we saw over the weekend at uh, Combank Stadium, or Bankwest Stadium as it's now known, Parramatta Stadium, was uh, was a real uh, uplifting uh, moment of football. We saw a classic derby match between two bitter rivals, uh, a lot of passion both on the field and off it and uh, and a result that um well it went one way and it went the way of the uh, the team of of our next guest joe lolly who uh was uh, an important part of that match up until the moment he, he got injured and we welcome to box to box for the first time joe lolly how are you mate yeah really good thank you yeah yeah, real good, Joe, and uh, all the better for speaking to you, mate. And uh, I, I remembered not less than twelve months ago, you, you, you. Uh, um, I was watching the, the the playoff final at Wembley, of which you were such an important part. Where Forrest uh, uh, returned 
into the top flight after 30 odd years against another one of your old teams, Huddersfield Town. So, so uh, before we, we start talking about your, your experience with Sydney FC, can you just give us a, a bit of an insight into what you know, former Premier League player, you had a long career in, in, uh, in, in the UK before you, you came to Australia. What was it? And, and, and that phone call uh, from your manager, uh, I imagine it would have been uh, to, uh, to start the, the journey um, to the other side of the world. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I played in England for, for 10 or so years and, um, you know, was lucky enough to, to get promoted from the championship, um, twice and, um, played a few, few games in the Premier League and, um, you know, I think that after we got promoted, you know, I think, um, you know, the club saw the direction they wanted to go and they knew they were going to bring a lot of players in and, and, you know, because of that, I think my downtime was obviously going to be, you know, very limited. So, you know, I've, and because I felt like I'd played for so, so long in the championship, I wanted a new challenge. And, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to have this opportunity come up. And it was one that, yeah, just it just exciting, made me feel like a, sort of like a little kid again, really. Yeah, that's great, mate. And, and, uh, and from... Obviously, the excitement of a packed house at Wembley. Uh, what a great memory to 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 leave your career uh, over in in England. But you came, you would have come to Australia with your eyes open. You know where football sits in the in the sporting firmament of this country with uh, the two rugby codes. Obviously, the AFL in the southern states uh, uh, demanding so much time. Uh, I, I would imagine that, uh, and I you know read some of the uh, the interviews um, that uh, that you've given over the years. You're a deep thinking person about life in general, but more broadly, let alone around football itself. Uh, was it a breath of fresh air on, on Saturday night to actually go to uh, into a stadium and, and run out under the park? That, that would have made you feel like, hey, Australia has got the capacity to deliver proper football uh, experiences uh, when it's done correctly. I guess it can be difficult, you know. At, there's, you know, at times when you know you. You go to, to to Perth, and to be fair, that you know the atmosphere is great, but it's quite like a, you know, obviously they're they're in temporary place at the moment, and, and place like those, and and to be able to sort of step out into, you know, the sort of arenas, we you know we did on Saturday, and, and the atmospheres that you know we've created, um, you know, in the derby back at the Allianz as well, and in the victory games, you know, the you know they really feel like, yeah, you know, like great atmosphere sort of proper football and, and I feel the quality of the games go go to another level as well and, and I think they're great adverts for the game here. Joe you probably get asked this question all the time but it is one that's uh, on the top of my mind listening to you speak now is that how do you rate the quality of the A-League to what you have experienced back in uh, Great Britain can you just sort of give us a, an indication of where it stands uh, in your own words? Yeah, to be honest, it was you know pleasantly surprising when I first come. I didn't really come over with too much. I didn't really have too much of an idea or expectation of you know how good, or how good, or where the quality was at. So you know, very open-minded and, and straight from day one, you know, could see the quality. You know, in training on the first day, um, you know, and, and as I say, I think you know, you know, it, it's not an easy league. I think. You know all the teams tactically that you know they all try and play good football. There's a lot of good players there, um, a lot of good footballers, and yeah, I think that you know the standard's good and it and it's growing. I think you can see by, especially I think in those games when you know the stadiums and the atmosphere is good. You know I think you get you get to see some real real high quality high quality football, and you know hopefully it just keeps improving and 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 yeah, and hopefully. You know, football's on the up in this country. Joe, you got hurt on the weekend. Um, can you tell us about your injury and how long you may or may not miss from the from the team? Oh no, I, I you know I should I should be fine. I sort of jarred my neck a little bit, and it was uh, it was a bit stiff. Um, you know, I managed to, to get through to, to seventy, and you know, but I didn't feel too too bad. It was you know it was obviously painful and stiff, and you know it has been for the last few days, but. You know, a couple of painkillers, and it'll be uh, be good to go for for the Brisbane game. Tell us about. Were you aware that the coaches were um, having a bit of a disagreement throughout the course of the game, and it boiled over a little bit with some 
words in the post-match press conference. Did were you aware that that was sort of happening as the game unfolded? Uh, to be honest, I wasn't. You know, I was pretty um, focused on the on the game itself. But I think the biggest games they always bring they always bring a bit of spiciness and a bit of you know things always fall over probably just a little bit. You know, it's nothing nothing crazy or nothing out of hand. And um, yeah, it, it always makes a, a a bit of a good laugh after the game. And um, yeah, it's always quite funny when when you reading back what's been said and whatnot and I think it makes it easier obviously you know when you've won the game and um but yeah so I've heard since but you know at the time I was just pretty pretty focused on the game to be honest. No we've had a good laugh about it they're two former teammates they would have spent a lot, a lot of time together but they're fierce competitors and it was just added to the whole um experience of watching this game um and uh, you know it was it was good fun joe um you know you would have come to sydney fc knowing that the club has a big reputation knowing that the expectations of the fans are high it wasn't a good start to the season but the team start is starting to put together some results now and you're climbing up the table how do you feel about um the season how it's unfolded and is there real optimism uh, with you and your teammates about what is left still to achieve in this season? Yeah, I think, you know, I think at the start of the season, we we're actually, we're playing some, you know, pretty good football and not quite getting the, maybe the results that, you know, we we we, we probably felt we, we deserved. And then, you know, I think that knocked, you know, a lot of confidence out of, out of us a little. And, and, you know, we also we had some injuries, especially, you know, defensively we missed, you know, missed some big players for a lot of the year. And, yeah, I think, you know, over time, obviously, you know, we managed to pick up, you know, a great, great win against Victory and, and a lot of characters against Central Coast. And then you could real feel that confidence going into into this game. And, and, you know, three wins on the bounce now. And we're, you know, finally sort of getting those players fit, the key players. And you can sense the confidence. And, you, you know, we've had a, a little bit of luck of, in the last couple of games that we probably missed at the start of the season as well, which, you know, you always need in football as, as stupid as it is. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I think we're, we're just starting to hit our stride a bit now and hopefully we can find the consistency and, and, and really push on and, and challenge right right to the top of the league. And your teammates um, in in the, the squad, uh, have you uh, had the, the opportunity to talk to, say, players like... Uh, you know, Alfie Lafondra, uh, who, who had a similar career to, to what you did back in, in the UK, and uh, and and what uh, what he's experienced over over the years he's been in the A League. Yeah, you know, it's something. You know, especially you know, very very early on in the first few weeks, you know, we you know spoke a lot about yeah, you know, what to expect and, and, and what's around the corner, and um, it's always good to, to speak to people and, and get a feel of you know, so nothing sort of when it hits you you're not you're not surprised by anything so um you know but it's all obviously still still relatively relatively new and they're still you know that was one of the first games on Saturday I think it's still like 28 degrees at 745 so I've been lucky enough where I haven't played when it's been absolutely you know <laughs> crazy hot so far but all those little things you know you have to get used to it and they're all sort of you know very very new to the system. Yeah, absolutely it is, mate. You'll know all about it when uh, when you get one of those 35-degree temperatures, that's for sure, Joe. Hey, uh, mate, you've got uh, Brisbane Raw at home at Allianz Stadium on Saturday. Kick-off at 5 o'clock. You can get your, your tickets at sydneyfc.com if you haven't bought them already. They're, you know Your team's off the, the back of, as you said, a, a three-match winning streak. You know, Steve Corica, you know, one minute he's been uh, uh, you know thrown about as a name that might be the, the next coach sacked and the, and the next minute he's, he's dragged you're in the fifth position and a point off your, your crosstown rivals. Uh, I, I guess uh, the the message from him would be going into this uh, this match that uh, that now is not the time to, to take the foot off the accelerator against a team that's sort of at the lower reaches of the table, which is exactly where your mob were uh, only a few weeks ago. Yeah, exactly that. You know, you can't. You know, it's all well and good winning three three games in a row, but we you know we know where you know as a club we want to be, and and that's not you know, where we are at the moment and we still want to push higher and higher and, you know, these are the games, you know, no disrespect to Brisbane because, you know, they've already beat us for their place and, you know, they're 
they're a difficult team to play. But you know, these are the games we have to go and, and dominate and, and win and, and keep building with them. Yeah, you know, we want to be the best team in the league, and to do that, you you've got to keep consistent. You've got to keep winning games. That's you know the mentality we've got, and and hopefully, yeah, we can go out Saturday and, and, and put in a you know an even a better performance, and and yeah, just keep going and, and keep the run going. Well, Joe Lolly, uh, we we know the Sydney FC fans are, are loving what you're doing for the club. Um, you, you've done it with uh, Forest, you've done it with a bunch of other clubs over in in England, and now you're doing it with Sydney FC. and uh, And we've long uh, wanted players who are still uh, got plenty left in their career uh, to uh, to contribute and help uh, the game grow in this country. And uh, you're certainly doing that, mate. So uh, uh, thanks again for joining us on the show, and uh, and good luck uh, this weekend and for the rest of the season. Uh, no problem. I really appreciate that. Not at all, Joe Lolly from Sydney FC. Okay, we are going to go to that other side of the world after the break. Um, we've been watching with interest. I know I said off the top of the show that that Manchester City story dropped just after we did the podcast last week. Well, it had a week to uh, to think on it, reflect on it, read all about it. And one of the podcasts we all listened to was uh, the Price of Football podcast, of which our next guest is the uh, co-host, Kieran Maguire from the University of Liverpool. So if you want to work out what's going on, what's happening, what might happen in the future with this investigation, stick around. Kieran Maguire's next on Box to Box. Oh, it's only two weeks to go in summer and it's still warm outside over here, Edge. You can't wait to come home. And maybe what I'll do, I know you've been sort of uh, angling for an invite for one of my famous barbecues. I'm marinated some... Yeah, yeah, I think you've mentioned it every um, show for the past month or so. Um, I've known you for 25 years and you've keep telling me how fantastic your barbecues are, but I never get an invite. Well, likewise, it goes both ways. We just go out for dinner and get somebody else to cook. But no, I will cook these chicken wings. I've, I've, I've given you a few, few invites. Yeah, uh, no, marinate. Yeah, of course. I'll be at the next one. But we're talking about hoist right now. Now, I marinated these chicken wings in about half a cup of lemon juice, olive oil, half a dozen cloves of crushed garlic, salt and pepper, and then the trick was the oregano. It was fantastic, just about a, a tablespoon of the oregano, just marinated them, not for too long, because you don't want that lemon juice to cook the chicken on the barbecue. Oh, uh, some turmeric, uh, and cayenne pepper, in fact, in the dressing afterwards, a little bit more olive oil. It does, and on my Weber Smokefire barbecue, even more smoke. How does that sound, Derek? Would you have uh, uh, knocked off a, a few of those chicken wings? Yeah, I think I think I, I think I would have done. I was still uh, marvelling at the oregano. I thought it was oregano. Have I had it wrong this whole time? Oh, mate, look, I have a classic uh, capacity to, to mispronounce some um, herbs and spices. Um, so I think you might have got it right because you know you say Monaco, I say Monaco. There you go. Tomato or tomato. Exactly. Oregano or oregano. Look, it just depends on what you like, Derek. Hey, Derek, what's the perfect way to eat a chicken? Oh, hot sauce. And uh, strip it off. Yeah, I bite. Yeah, you, I put it full thing in, and then I pull it back out, and I let my <laughs> teeth pull all the flesh off. Mm. And you can do it in one elegant movement. That's my tactic for a chicken. Yeah, elegant. It's the first time I've ever heard the word elegant used with uh, the uh, description of someone ripping a chicken wing apart. Um, but you def- don't forget the blue cheese dressing, but you can't get that at Hoyts. You can get everything else there. Hoyts, Coles, Woolworths, and all good super independent supermarkets. They are the best. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyts, Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, I said off the top of the show that over 370-odd episodes, uh, the amount of times we've dropped a podcast and then within the hour or maybe by the time we wake up next morning, a massive football story breaks. It happens all the time and uh, last week was no exception. No sooner have we all sat down on the couch to uh, relax a little after the podcast dropped than uh, the news flashed across all of the websites that uh, the Premier League had laid well, upwards of 100 charges against Manchester City. And when it comes to finance in the world of football, there is uh, there is one man who is the go-to, whether it's the Times, the BBC, the Athletic, you name it. He is the host, the co-host of uh, the Price of Football podcast and, and author of the very same book. Um, his name is Kieran Maguire, and we welcome him to the show. How are you, Kieran? I'm okay. I'm, I'm a Brighton fan, and having seen us have 75% possession against our most hated of rivals at Crystal Palace on Saturday, only for our goalkeeper to to give them a goal. Slightly frustrated, but uh, yeah, all good. Looking forward to this. It uh, should be fun. 
this story, all of our listeners, obviously uh, football fans, every one of them, but uh, uh, could you give us the, the, the snapshot version of, of these charges? Because uh, on the surface of this, it seems to have been bubbling along for the better part of a decade. And and I guess the obvious question is, why did it take so long? And how do you bundle 115 charges into one broadside at uh, a club who has been the most successful over pretty much most of that period of time? Since Sheikh Mansour acquired Manchester City, the club has accelerated in terms of its financial strength. Uh, and in the Deloitte uh, Deloitte Money League, uh, Manchester City came out as the football club which generates more money than any others on the planet. And some people say, and, and, and I'm somebody that's lived in Manchester for 40 years, thinking well, that, that just doesn't intuitively feel right. So there was a Portuguese hacker who uh, managed to download lots and lots of emails and bits and pieces, which went to form a report by Der Spiegel. That formed the basis of the UEFA investigation into Manchester City. And parallel to that was one from the Premier League. Um, last Monday, at zero notice, the, the club wasn't given a heads up. Journalists weren't given a heads up. It dropped onto the Premier League website. 115 different charges, which I think we can probably summarise or break down into three. The first accusation, and we, and we have to stress, these are accusations. There is no guilt as yet. Um, the first accusation was that Manchester City have artificially inflated the money coming into the club. They've effectively been given money by the owner, which doesn't count towards financial fair play. And they've pretended that that is money from sponsors. And there are, in theory, emails that support that. The second accusation is that Manchester City have uh, been hiding costs of running the club, especially in relation to wages. So in respect of the former manager, Roberto Mancini, uh, he is alleged to have had a, uh, a contract with Manchester City, which paid him 1.45 million sterling a year. But he had a, a consultancy job with a club in Abu Dhabi, where the owners are based, which paid 1.75 million a year for four days work. Now, personally, I think that's good money if you can get it. You know, I, I, but the, the Premier League saying, well, actually, this is a way of paying him for his Manchester City job without it going through payroll. And, and thirdly is the accusation that Manchester City have used every trick in the book to delay uh, the investigation. It's, it's the equivalent. You know what it's like? You one up. You're in the 88th minute and your, your winger goes into the corner flag and hides and, and puts his body around the ball and everybody starts to get angry. So, so it's, those, those are the three broad charges. Um, the, the Premier League will not say anything else publicly until the, the independent commission has delivered its result. Um, and then we'll, the circus will start up all over again. All 19 of the other Premier League clubs won uh, City to be punished. I'm sure that there are people in Manchester in the Liverpool area um, that, that would feel strongly about this in terms of titles being reallocated and, and history being rewritten. But are there also um, cause for certain teams to be sweating a little bit on this too? I mean, we've just seen Chelsea spend an extraordinary amount of money in the past six months. Uh, you're the economist, not me, but it feels like it's beyond their means even from that plays Champions League football um, uh, and and has, you know, a much larger base from which to operate from. Uh, and even Newcastle, probably, you know, the nouveau reach, you know, the new Manchester City, um, spending money that has kind of, I think, gone under the radar a bit, but there's still quite a bit being spent. They don't have European football. They don't have the um, the global uh, fan base to switch back on. Other people, will there be people in Newcastle, Chelsea and other places that will be sweating on this a little bit and going, well, if it can happen to City, it could happen to us too. Well, I, I, I agree uh, exactly with what you say. Um, th th there's an element of be careful what you wish for. Because if we take a look at Everton, for example, e Everton claimed 170 million sterling um, as COVID costs and people are going, well, that's about three times as much as any other club. We've got um, clubs that are controlled from the Cayman Islands, British Virgin Islands, places which are known for their fairly relaxed approach 
two governments. Um, we've we've got Chelsea spending. I, I'll be honest, Chelsea spending, in my view, is okay because mainly due to the the, the weird and wacky world of accounting and, and how that lets them uh, exploit the position. But go, going forwards, if if Manchester City are being accused of um, one of the rules of the Premier League is that you must act with utmost good faith. And this, this is something which the Premier League has been banging on about. Oh, they've, they've, you've got utmost good faith towards both the Premier League and the other members of the club, uh, other members of the Premier League. Well, if that is the case, where does this leave us with the Super League clubs, of, of whom Manchester City is one, of course. But those six clubs effectively were prepared to say goodbye to English football. Um so it, it could lead to it could lead to a lot of what about it. it it could lead to subsequent charges uh being made and subsequent investigations but i think here the premier league doesn't help itself we've got no idea whether there are any investigations taking place so therefore the only conclusion that we can reach is that it's manchester city and manchester city only that is being targeted um and if manchester city are guilty of the charges, then then they they have to be punished appropriately. Um, but it does seem inconsistent with the behaviour of the club. So could could this lead to a snowball effect, possibly? Um, and, and then you start to feel uneasy because n- none of us on this, yeah, n- none of us here or none of nobody listening to this show fell in love with football due to one club having a really good lawyer or accountant. But that could be the difference between a points deduction and a fine, between a wage cap, uh, expulsion from the Premier League, titles being stripped. And and that just seems intuitively not not right. It's not football. You mentioned the European Super League and, and, you know, I I feel like that, you know, that that particular beast was slain uh, a, a year or so ago. But I think we all accepted it, you know, it wasn't the last... We were gonna we were gonna hear from it, and now we've got a situation in the Premier League where you spoke about a big six. There's, there's a big seven now, realistically, with Newcastle as well. And I don't think uh, Piff or whoever owns um, Newcastle United are gonna you know tolerate not having the the regular qualification for for European football. So that's not going to fit. And then you've got the likes of Manchester City already been bruised by UEFA, already be now being bruised by um, by the Premier League. Um, and then you look at Serie A, and you've got Juventus, who are you know obviously going through their own problems because they haven't got enough. They haven't got the opposite problem. They've got haven't got enough money. The, the, the Premier League got to be careful that they've got to try and find the punishment, but they've also got to try and keep Manchester City, I suppose, as an interested party. Because at the end of the day, you know you don't want to push someone like that out. And then for the European Super League to come back and rear, rear its ugly, ugly head again. Yeah, in, in fact, we saw proposals for European Super League Mark II. They came out on Thursday. Mm. Um, and it's an absolute abomination of, of a plan. But it, it does show that uh, there's still interest. That the Premier League clubs are, are keeping their mouths firmly shut. Because I think if they were caught talking to the people behind this this plan... Um, it wouldn't look too good. Um, you, you're absolutely right. Ma- Manchester City have won the Premier League four seasons out of the last five. Now, the accusation is that they've done that through having a financial advantage. I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that they do anymore um, in terms of owner investments. But uh, I think the accusation going back probably has greater weight and, and therefore requires greater scrutiny. Uh, Manchester City also play great football. Uh, as somebody that I, say, I, I lived in Manchester for 40 years, um, one of the things the owners did was that the east part of Manchester is one of the poorest. Well, that has changed. You know, there, there has been money spent on development. There has been money invested in the area. And, and, and you contrast that with Old Trafford and Manchester United and the Glazer family. Well, the Glazers haven't put a penny into Manchester. Uh, in fact, they've taken money out. You know, they they've been paying themselves dividends for six years. So, I'm 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 always a little bit wary about giving praise to things because you know we remember Pablo Escobar used to build hospitals and schools in in Colombia. That didn't make him a good guy. Um, but uh, there are lots of positives about Manchester City. 
if these charges are proven, then then that's got to be deemed to be negatives and, and therefore they've got to be given an appropriate tariff. And I think one of the things which is interesting is if if you read the Premier League handbook and, and anybody that's suffering from insomnia, I would recommend download the Premier League handbook. It is um, one of the longest and spe most spectacularly dull documents I've ever had to familiarise myself with. But it says in the handbook, there is no ups, there is no maximum penalty and there is no minimum penalty for anybody found guilt guilty by an independent commission so we could have anything going from don't do it again improve the you know, improve the standard of your, of your your paperwork right through to fines points deductions uh demotion from the premier league uh and stripping of titles historically well, i think the last two of those are are highly unlikely from sort of what little noise we have in mind, and I, and I speak to, to journalists here quite often. Yeah, you kind of touched on some of the, the quote-unquote positive things that um, that City have been doing, and I think their kind of PR approach to this, apart from like the rebuttal, etc., has been been uh, almost playing a bit of a victim. That like this is this has been a bit of a beat up um, by by the rest of the by the rest by the Premier League and the rest of the Premier League. Do you? Do you feel like um, they, they've got a, you know, to a degree they might have a point, and that there's always you know you know what, what whatever way that we're going to get them on, there's always been a feeling that Manchester United, Manchester City, sorry, didn't deserve to be in the position that they were because they didn't have the kind of gloried track record that say Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea to a degree Spurs uh, had. The fact that they had this kind of handed this stadium, this Etihad Stadium, which has done 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 well for them so far. I mean, we all know the money slushes around the Premier League and everyone has different owners and different experiences and, you know, throwing stones in glass houses and all that. But do you just feel like, you know, the rest of the Premier League and then potentially Europe just never really felt like that City belonged and therefore this is really a coordinated beat-up that was on the cards. And then when you look at someone like Newcastle United as well, have they got a right to be worried in the same way of a state-run uh, institution doesn't ne you know, has, you know, doesn't necessarily have the same storied history of success? And is that, are there danger signs for someone like Newcastle? I, I think you're absolutely right. Old money doesn't like new money. You know, if uh, one, one of my mates won the lottery over here, um, and you know, he, he moved into bigger house, bigger car, nicer neighbourhood, and everybody around him, all the neighbours who were stockbrokers, the lawyers, the financiers, they treated him like dirt. And it's the same in the world of football. Clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern uh, and Manchester United and Liverpool, they feel, rightly or wrongly, that they are the elite of football. They don't want to be challenged. They feel that they've got an automatic right to trophies. They, they feel they've got an automatic right to participation in, in the Champions League. And Manchester City and Chelsea, I think it has to be remembered, are disruptors because prior to Roman Abramovich arriving at Stamford Bridge, the Premier League was won normally by Manchester United and now and again by Arsenal. In fact, the Premier League was, was predictable and boring in many respects. Chelsea and Manchester City have, have disrupted that. It has become more competitive. And ironically, all of the clubs in the Premier League have benefited as a result because it's so much more unpredictable. We know that Bayern are going to win uh, the Bundesliga. We know it's going to be one of Real Madrid or Barcelona that are going to win La Liga. We know in Scotland that it's going to be Celtic most of the times, occasionally Rangers. And, and it gets it, it just it gets less enjoyable. So to both City and uh, Chelsea have have changed that, and it and it's caused resentment. There was a letter signed by nine clubs, and and Pep Guardiola in in his uh, press conference last Friday named those nine clubs. Um, and th this letter was signed a, a couple of years ago when Manchester City were first uh, banned by UEFA for two years for, from European competition, um, and it was because. It was in the interests of those clubs to see Manchester City penalised. Well, it's exactly the same this season. If Manchester City get a 25-point penalty, for example, 
before the end of this season. That means that Spurs, who are currently fifth, go fourth and they qualify for next year's Champions League. That's worth three and a half times as much money as being in the Europa League. My team, Brighton, go from sixth to fifth. We qualify to play in the Europa League. We've never done it before. At the bottom, if the worst case scenario arises and Manchester City are expelled from the Premier League, well, two sides get relegated instead of three. If I was Leeds or Everton or you know the clubs down there, I'd, I'd be wanting Manchester City to have a severe punishment. So you can see why the other clubs want to pile in on Manchester City. The danger is you know, what happens in two years' time if there's another case. You know, it's, uh, it, it, there is a danger of people taking a short-term view um, celebrating another club being punished um, and then the Premier League decides, well, yeah, perhaps we'll, uh, perhaps we'll do this again. You know, it, was, it was such good fun the first time round, or you know, that there is compelling evidence for a further investigation. Kieran, it's a fascinating dissection of, of this whole thing um, in in twenty minutes. Uh, I think we've we've done the top line of it justice, but we only uh, get to find out what happens in the fullness of time when the investigation takes place and the KCs and all of the the uh, the various silks uh, get their big fat fees, which they won't be uh, uh, handing back to anybody or, or have uh, questioned by <laughs> any any of their colleagues. Uh, they'll just uh, sort of wallow in the in the Scrooge McDuck like vault of of cash. Um, they'll just they're the ones that will be happy with this, won't they, mate? Absolutely. The uh, it, it has been rumoured um, that the the top KC working for Manchester City is going to be charging uh, 10,000 sterling an hour. I don't know what that's in, in Aussie dollars, but uh, it, it, it's a good night out, whatever it is. Yeah, it's about two and a half times, mate. Um, it uh, is uh, a very big night out at uh, one of the best restaurants in town with uh, <laughs> some vintage uh, wine from maybe uh, one of the better chateaus of uh, St. Margot or something like that, mate. Kieran, look, we'd love to talk to you for a lot longer. We know you've got to get on a train to head down to London from Liverpool at uh, morning over there. Uh, we, we might indulge ourselves by reaching out to you again over the next couple of months. Uh, and, uh, and although you couldn't split the difference between your, uh, your colleagues' uh, palate uh, rivals on the weekend, mate. We'll be watching Brighton with interest as we do a, a club that's doing it in their own very different way. Maybe we'll get you on and, and talk about the finances of how they're doing that at another day. Thanks. Thanks very much, guys. Have a good week and uh, I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Absolutely. Kieran Maguire from The Price of Football podcast and his day job at the University of Liverpool talking about Manchester City and the Premier League charges. Okay, stick around. We're going to wrap up the show with a bit more on the Women's World Cup, which is just five months away next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with Kieran Maguire there. If you want to tune into his podcast, it's The Price of Football. You can get it just about anywhere uh, you get your podcast. In fact, anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay. So, guys, um, we're always looking for a different angle on the World Cup. And, and this week we've got, uh, as we do and have done over the last few weeks since Qatar uh, wrapped up, um, been focusing on the Women's World Cup for good reason. We'll, we'll talk about the Men's World Cup in a moment. But the story that struck, uh, caught my eye was uh, uh, Canada's uh, uh, announcement, the national women's side, that they would go on strike over pay equity concerns and a lack of funding that they believe will compromise their performances. And not less than 40 hours later, they said they won't go on strike because of threats of legal action by Canada soccer Christian Christine Sinclair said on Friday the team would strike because of concerns over funding cuts and lack of pay equity, but the team said that they would not now strike because of the uh, scenario potentially facing them like a sort of Damocles. Now, Edge, this is a, a nasty story on, on the edge. We've seen a lot of action. We've seen the Matildas do this. They didn't go to uh, the States for a, a designated tour a few years ago, and they got the result. The, it, the players are now playing hardball. They've got the full support of the men's uh, team. Um, it does help Australia, given that the Canadian women are in our group. Um, there's still a few months away. You know, Will it distract them? What, what's your opinion on all of this? There's been some precedence now, as you mentioned, uh, what the Australians did and what the Americans done and uh, the political support that uh, 
the Matildas and the We Yes Women's National Team received was went a long way to getting an outcome. But uh, what we don't hear about these stories is the dilemma for the administrators who, in Canada, like probably Football Australia, is not a wealthy organisation. So they have to obviously um, do the right thing and do what's um, important, which is to try and um, make this uh, equality movement sustainable and deliver on it. And it's sometimes very difficult to do that. Um, and there's a lot of backroom negotiations with men's, the men's players taking less money. Um, not everybody will agree with that. Not everybody will want to do that. That's got to be ushered through. But uh, th this one in Canada got a bit nasty, I think. And um, there is, uh, you know, it's just too close to the Women's World Cup. Canada have a very good opportunity to do something special in this uh, Women's World Cup. We saw how good they were at the Olympic Games. So uh, everybody associated with women's football in Canada who want them to do well will want this issue resolved and so they can go to Australia with, uh, with confidence and, uh, and, and, and do something in this tournament because they have the capacity to do it. We've seen how uh, they form as Australia in the friendlies, so let alone the Olympic Games. So they're definitely a team that can get into the last four. Mm. Well, we've seen siege mentalities work before in the past. So uh, if they do it uh, for themselves and, uh, well, the uh, Canadian Soccer uh, Federation will, will, will benefit by extension, then, you know, it doesn't uh, particularly matter how it gets in the end. But uh, I, I think after what we saw of Canada when they came to Australia and, and pretty much comfortably beat the Matildas uh, last time around. Um, we with with, with, with not even their frontline team. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, Derek, um, Argentina, Chile, Paraguay and Uruguay have officially submitted. We've reported this in the past, but now it's official. Their joint bid to host the 2030 World Cup, 100 that's years. That's got to be done. That, that exactly. The place to go. Yep. After the inaugural tournament was held in Montevideo, the four South American nations have called for the World Cup to return to where football was born. Question mark. They will compete with a joint bid from Spain and Portugal, and possible bids from Morocco and Saudi Arabia. So, uh, yeah, your thoughts on this as the uh, uh, as the bidding hype starts to build up, uh, it, it just feels right. I think Edge, you know, knows full well that it is the cycle of South America, but uh, I get a feeling that it would be good to see that uh, that group of uh, four nations get the result. Yeah, you you flagged the you know the point around football being born there, and you quite right to be scornful because of course football was invented by the Chinese so uh, <laughs> they will certainly be not happy about that. I've got a question for Edge on this one though. Um, so we've seen this kind of multi-country uh, format work successfully in Europe um, with, the, with the Euros. I mean obviously Europe's quite a condensed region even compared to South America. Uh, obviously with the EU as well it meant that you know there was probably some of the you know, intra-country regulations could have been overcome. Um, is it a surprise that these are these particular group of countries are banding together? I've got a Chilean sister-in-law. She hates the Argentinians with a passion and doesn't want anything to do with them. But it seems like they're going to put all that aside for the sake of uh, the World Cup bid. Are, are you confident with your knowledge of that part of the world that all of these all of these uh, countries can play nice and pull this off? Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, I've spent a bit of time there and understand how it works. And the, the football federations collaborate very well. We've seen them vote in a South American block, you know, for as long as uh, uh, these, um, you know, World Congress, FIFA World Congresses have been going. They never, ever split from each other. They are united. So um, this event will be massive for that part of the world. They're all economies that are slumping um, they're struggling under the uh, the impacts of inflation high interest rates and and uh, all sorts of problems so this event economically will have a massive impact for all of those countries and it's the right place to be if we're I mean you know progress means that things change you know the World Cup's going from uh, 32 teams to 48 you know there is going to be uh, not a not a country in the world maybe other than China that can host um, a World Cup on its own anymore because of the, the, the format of the event. So we're going to see multi-country or regional bids. And, um, you know, I think this is a great place to go. And I hope that the final is in Montevideo in Uruguay because it would be a great, um, it would, would be a great, uh, you know, reflection of uh, where the game's been to and, 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 and its past. And uh, all of these countries have the capacity to host it very well. They're very experienced at hosting 
big football um, tournaments, their leagues, uh, their, their, the Copper America, the Intercontinental, the World Cup playoffs. Um, it is a fantastic uh, place to go and uh, all football fans all over the world will have a wonderful time if it's there. I, I'd, I'd much rather go there. Um, I think they'll do a much better job of it than um, the Saudis. It's way too early for the Saudis. All right, boys, let's wrap it up. Uh, a good show tonight. Really enjoyed chatting to Joe Lolly earlier on. Jeez, uh, he uh, certainly uh, has gone from one extreme to the other in, in his football uh, life over the course of the journey. And Kieran Maguire makes the discussion of finance in football, Derek, at least sound interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, another wonderful show. Really enjoyed Kieran Maguire as well. Some Amazing thoughts and never a dull week in football. We'll do it all again next week, Rob. We will. And Edge, well done, mate. We'll be seeing you home soon. Yes, you will, Robbie. Thank you very much. We haven't missed the fact that um, the Merseyside derby was uh, will be played overnight. Yes, so we we do drop the podcast early. So um, crossing my fingers that Liverpool got the result as you're tuning into this one. Please make sure you subscribe to Box box stoppage time and offside wherever you get your podcast tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on twitter make sure you like us on facebook please give us a lovely rating it would be nice helps us out and lets other people know and then of course join us throughout the week as the podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game